You know, I realized this week, you know, I've been, I've been a pastor for at least four years. I've never shown you my trophies. And I think this is key. You know, you got to know what kind of level of pastor you have here. So this particular trophy here, this is third grade baseball in Wheaton, Illinois. Little League Baseball. We, we got to the championship game. We got beat and, and we lost and finished second. So there's a second place trophy. But then the next year, in fourth grade baseball, we learned our lesson. Coach Klein knew how to take the team to the next level. We got to the championship game. We won the championship game. Now, you would think there'd be a bigger trophy for that, don't you think? This little thing's kind of, da- kind of lame, but I, I, would, I would think it would be like one of these kind of trophies. Well, this one's backwards. I better turn this around to get the full view. Then we got into travel baseball, where instead of playing like 20 games in the summer, we got to play 60 games in the summer and travel all over the place. Miss Church, it was awesome. We got to Miss Church, because if you got to Sunday... You, have to, you get to play in the tournament for the, for the championship. You get these kind of big trophies for winning on Sunday. These big travel trophies, these are the big ones you get if you win. Now, you know, my son Joseph, these are his trophies too, but as the coach, the real glory goes to the coach, true? Not the players, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Now, you know, I, I have uh, four children, the oldest son. We actually said no to travel baseball, even though he was invited because we realized the time commitment was going to be insane and that we wouldn't be able to go to church on Sunday the same way because we'd be going to these travel tournaments instead. But then my daughter, Lena, became a high-level gymnast, like advanced through the ranks. By the time she was in eighth grade, she was a level 10 gymnast. She had a wall of medals in her room, like literally a wall of medals. People talking about her going to the Olympics and all this stuff. I remember the morning that she quit gymnastics. I was at a tournament, a national tournament with her. I was getting her ready, and she was crying in the bathroom. I said, Lena, what's going on? I just don't want to do this. I'm like, Lena, this is supposed to be fun. This is called sports. It's supposed to be fun. If it's not fun, then we're done. And that was the end of her gymnastics career, essentially in eighth grade. After 24 hours a week in the gym... Every week, every night, sacrificing tons of money and time to get her there. Literally on vacation in Florida, I took Lena to a gym in Florida to make sure she was ready for a state tournament, even on my vacation. I mean, I couldn't get to church in Florida, but I could certainly get to the gym to make sure Lena was ready for her tournament. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I can keep going. My son Joseph, he's a college baseball player. He spent hours and hours, months and months, countless focus on getting his swing right, on getting himself ready for baseball. He's now a Division three baseball player that at the end of this next year will become a 12-inch softball player, slow pitch softball player here around the area. It changed his life, you know what I'm saying? Changed his life forever. Now, I thought it'd be appropriate for me to talk about sports as the pastor who's really into sports. Because, you know, sometimes it's easy to preach against other people's idols. But when you face an idol that is your idol, it's a lot more difficult to preach. And frankly, the best sermons are to yourself. So this is a sermon to me. You can listen in if you want. Right? But this is my own sermon because I got a major problem with sports. I go way over the top. Look at my trophies. Huh? I, I keep these on display. I would like to put, put these in my living room for people to come over. When they come out, I can explain them to them, but my wife won't let me keep them there. She makes them keep me in some closet somewhere. Um, now, before I lose a bunch of you, let's not get carried away, right? Um, sports is not totally evil. 
None of these idols are totally evil. They all have good things. I mean, sports brings people together. It encourages health and fitness. It cultivates grit and discipline. These are all things my sons and daughters have learned from sports. I've learned from sports. They provide an array, array of life lessons. They're, they're entertainment, right? They're, you learn how to work as a team. You learn how to win and lose. You learn how to fail and get back up and do it again. There's a million amazing things that sports do to, for people's lives in the world. But let's face it, sports in America, it's way over the top. True? Way over the top. Like we've turned it into an American idol. Uh, now, um, I think it's important to understand how idols get made. So I want to take on this little journey this morning about this. Uh, we're going to start in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to put up there the amplified version of the Bible. This is the version of the Bible that in the parentheses is giving you more of the Greek meaning of the words. Because the Greek meaning is way bigger than what we can put in English. So if you read the amplified version of the Bible, it gives you a little deeper look into the Greek meaning. So here we, here's Paul. Here's what he says. For God does not overlook sin... And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness suppress and stifle the truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them in their inner consciousness, for God made it evident to them. For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through his workmanship, all his creation, the wonderful things that he has made, so that they who fail to believe and trust in him are without excuse and without defense. Now, if you leave those up there for a minute, Karn, we learn a few things from these verses. First of all, God created. He is the source of life. He is the designer of the world. He is good. His design is good and consistent with his character and with who he is. So when we look at creation, we get to see God's divine nature and his eternal power on display in the creation. But here's the thing. You, if you look to created things and you fail to look here, then you have turned the created things into idols that are lifted higher than they're supposed to be. Instead of pointing, these created things pointing you to God, they point you to something else, which creates a problem. So Paul continues, here's what he says. For even though they knew God as their creator, they did not honor him as God or give thanks for his oneness creation. On the contrary, they became worthless in their thinking, godless with pointless reasonings and silly speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God for an image Worthless idols in the shape of mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. Look, look how the message translates this. Here's, here's the message in a little more common English. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. How did this happen? How did it get that we traded the glory of God for this? Or for lots of other things? It's an interesting question to think about. What's the roots of this? Well, if we go back to the beginning, to creation, it gives us a good place to start. 
in the creation story, there's two key phrases that I think we need to focus on. The first one is this. God says this, let there be. This is something only God can say. Let there be is not something I can do. I can't say, let there be a goat, and up comes a goat here on stage. I can't do that. I think why we love things like Stranger Things and all these superhero movies, we would love to be able to be like God and say, let there be, and just make it happen. Wouldn't it be cool to move things with your mind? Like Elle does, 11, and Stranger Things, you can just go, boom, and then people just go flying. Those are God-like aspirations. But only God can say, let there be. He's the only one that can say, let there be. And out of nothing comes something. And this something points back to the creator. When we look at those things that God said, let there be, we worship God. So when I stand on a mountain in Colorado, 14,000 foot mountain looking all around me, my only thought is, oh my goodness. God, you are amazing. I mean, you said, let there be, and this mountain was pushed up with your pinky to this place where I can stand and see, whoa. And I'm just like, there's got to be something way bigger than me in the world. And I want to go to my knees and worship God. But then there's a second phrase in Genesis. God says this, let us make. Okay, interesting. And he talks about that related to mankind. Let us make man in our own image. So this is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming together to make us in his own image. And the thing is, when he makes us in his own image, he gives us the ability to say the same thing. Let us make. So we spend our lives making things, creating things, because this is part of the image of God in us. This is how we're designed. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make things. So a husband and wife come together and they say, let us make a child in our own image. And they go about this. Two businessmen get together and say, let us make a business. You know, and whatever, there's lots of businesses, right? Or we say things like, let us make music. And we stand at the piano and someone that has that gift can create the music that makes this go, right? It's amazing. So not everything on planet Earth is a creation of God. Some of the stuff that's on planet Earth is our own creation that we've made. We've said, let us make, and things have kind of been born, right? Now, the problem is, is that we love to worship the things that we make. And we love to get glory from the things we make. And we love to point to the things that we make. And these kind of turn it from being the glory of God to the glory of us, the glory of something else. Sports, to be honest, is one of those things. You know, sports is one of those it's, it's not. It's a gift from God, but it was created by humans. God didn't come down and say, let us make baseball, or let there be baseball. It was like, no, some guy, double day, decided let us make baseball, made the rules, and it, it happened, right? So the stuff we make... Uh, involves two things. It's making stuff, and it's also making meaning or significance. So when we start to connect our significance and the meaning of our lives to the stuff that we make, we start to turn it into an idol. We start to buy into the lie and advance the claims of the idol. Paul says it this way in Romans 1.25. They traded the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things Instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. What's the lie? Well, the lie is, 
you will surely not die, like God says. If you make your own idols, you'll be fine. You're not that weak and vulnerable. You can rise above it, and you can be like God. You can be like God. Those are the two lies. So think about this with me. How does sports play into this? Well, I can tell you that when I am playing hockey and I am smashing someone into the boards and seeing them fall on the ground, I'm like, yeah! I am big, I am huge, I am something, right? I am like, whoa! I'm invincible! Not really true, is it? But this is what happens. All of us dream of, all of us athletes dream of hitting the walk-off homer to get glory. Scoring the winning goal so we can get, whoa, the fans are cheering our name. Jeff, 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 Jeff. You know what I'm saying? I got it bad, don't I? Yeah, see, I tell you, I'm preaching to myself. So, and, and we lift athletes to this super significant place. Like, you know, here we are, this athletes, you know, we, we're super significant because we can hit a ball or shoot a puck or do whatever. You know, I was at the camp a couple weeks ago. And the one camp does a talent show. And, I, and they were asking me, hey, are you going to do something for the talent show? I said, I don't have any talents. I said, you know, I can't sing. I can't dance. I said, you know, if you give me a hockey stick and put five pop cans up on a board, I can knock them off. I can shoot a puck from probably 30 feet away and knock them off. That's my talent. Whoa, that's going to do you really good at 62, don't you think? That is a pointless talent. Pointless talent. Here's what Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. So let's just put those four descriptions on the screen here. Let's put sports in front of each one. Does sport absorb your heart and imagination? Does sport give your life meaning? Does sport give you value? Does sports make you feel significant? You can put any word in front of those four descriptions, and you can figure out what your idol is. Because I know some of you are going, man, it's about time someone bashed some of these sporties. These sporties are nuts, right? They're losing their minds. Good thing I'm not into that. I'm into cooking, or whatever it is, you know. Um, you put sports in front of this, and there it is. Here's the thing. It's interesting. Alexander the Great was known as a great conqueror. But really, what he was really best at was influencing. He was a great influencer. You know what he knew? He knew that if he could get control of four idols in the culture, he could shape the whole culture. Here's the four idols. Education, health care, entertainment, athletics. Alexander the Great believed if he could get the control of these four key things that called out to the deepest part of humans, he could control the world. And using those four things, Alexander the Great created Hellenism, a Greek philosophy that still lives on today. We actually are Hellenists because of Alexander the Great's control of these four idols. That's how powerful idols can be. So as I thought about my own relationship with sports, I started thinking through some of the choices I make in these realms. Do you know that if someone invites me to a golf match, even if it starts at 5 in the morning and I have to get up at 
I am not missing that golf match. I don't care if I go to bed at 2 a.m. I'm going to make it up for the golf match. Can any of you relate? Now, if I have to pray even at 6 a.m., if it's time to spend time with the Lord at 6 a.m. and I go to bed at 2 in the morning, I'll keep pushing this news button and might even miss my prayer time. Whoa. Something's wrong. I remember when I did basketball, Timothy Christian on Friday mornings at 6.30. It didn't matter when I went to bed the night before. There were nine other guys waiting for me at 6.30. I was going to be there. didn't matter if my leg was falling off. I was going to be there on the basketball court. But if there was a Bible study that I was supposed to be at at 6.30, and I kind of felt like I'm a little tired, or I was up kind of late, or I got a busy day ahead, I could talk myself out of the Bible study just like that. I can watch an NFL football game for hours. I can watch multiple NFL football games in a row. Seriously. You know, I'm not good even at sitting down. If you watch me at the office, I don't ever sit down. But I can sit down for nine straight hours and watch NFL football. This is a problem. I realized this week, like, I got something wrong with me, right? I can watch nine straight hours of NFL football cheering on my fantasy football guys. I didn't even bring my fantasy football trophy. It's really big. You know, it's got a lot of things. My name's on there multiple times because I spent hours learning fantasy football, pouring into my life fantasy football statistics and all the different people and players. Yeah, yeah, I got problems. I got problems. And this leads me to another thought. You know, idols require sacrifices. We always say we don't sacrifice to a calf. We don't sacrifice to a stone statue. We don't say, yeah, you're right, we don't. But guess what? We're willing to sacrifice time, money, energy, and focus to make sure our kids get to their sporting contest, to make sure we get to our golf match. We're willing to sacrifice church, Bible study, mission of God to make sure that we get to where we got to get for this sports contest. True? I mean, I am. I'll confess my sins. I'm up here confessing my sins. I'm preaching to myself, remember? So I was thinking about this. You know, when I first started youth sports back here in third grade or even earlier, kindergarten, my goal was to be with my kids. Just be with my kids, handle my kids. I was decent at coaching baseball, so I thought, hey, this will be fun. I'll hang out with my kids, teach them how to hit, teach some other kids how to hit. We'll build a team. It'll be a blast. We'll just, you know, what, what or lose. I mean, I remember the one soccer, that, that I used to coach soccer for my daughter, and the, the commissioner of the league told me he doesn't keep score. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said to him, I said, dude, do you realize everyone on the sidelines is keeping score? The girls are keeping score, the parents are keeping score, and the coaches are keeping score. You're the only one not keeping score. <laughs> I just had a fit with this guy. I said, so, you know, so, but, but hey, when I first started, I didn't really care. I was just like, just do this. And then, I don't know, something took over. Right? Now I was like, I gotta, I gotta win. I gotta just. I can't just lose the championship. I got to win the championship, and then I got to get my kid to be a higher level. Because who knows? He might be the next Babe Ruth or something. Ever have this thought about your kid? You know, I can tell you that Joseph's travel baseball team, which was sixty-five games a summer, every parent there thought their kid was the next Babe Ruth. Parents are the worst. Parents make sports into idols more than anyone. We're the worst. 
We are. I'm the worst. I'm the parent you don't want on your sideline. <laughs> but I remember all these parents just like, you know, like, whoa, 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 just like their kid's going to be the next whatever. And most of those kids, I, I can tell you of the 60 kids I knew that played travel baseball in Wheaton, there's four that I know playing college baseball. And they're all playing Division Three college baseball. They're not going to be major leaguers. So, hey, it's been a blast. I would say my son Joseph, if he was here, he'd be up here. He'd give you a testimony of how sports has totally taught him tons of stuff. And I agree with him. It's true. But at the same time, what has been the sacrifice we've made to make this all happen? Have you ever wished some other kid does poorly so your kid can get in the game? Is that just me? <laughs> Where you're like, man, I wish this kid doesn't get a hit for like 12 times. Maybe my kid will get in there. Be amazing. Or have you ever been mad at the coach because your kid's, kid isn't playing and you want to just strangle the coach because co the coach just doesn't see the genius of your kid? Yeah. Ever been praying on the sidelines for your kid to get a hit? Just so your kid gets one hit, just praying like, Lord, please help my kid get a hit. I, I've done that. Yeah, so here's some questions to ask yourselves. Here's an evaluation. How does your passion for a team or your kid's success compare to your passions for the things of Jesus? These are my questions for me. How does my passion for my kid's athletic success compare with my passion for my kid to know Jesus? And to grow spiritually? Am I willing to say, make the same sacrifices to pour the same energy into making sure my kid knows Jesus as I am to making sure he can swing a bat or throw a ball? What do you look like at a sporting event for your favorite team versus how you look when you're worshiping God? So when you're worshiping God, you're, you know, you're super like restrained, but then, you know, go Cubs, go, go Cubs, go. You ever been to those? I've been at some worship services at Wrigley Field. It's unbelievable. People I don't even know are giving me five and singing this song like crazy people. They're waving their arms. But if you ask them to do the same thing here in worship, they'd be like this. Oh, I, I can't. It's just really, it's really. Go, Cubs, go. I'm just saying. How much time do you give sacrifice for sports versus how much time do you sacrifice for your relationship with Jesus? Do you pray more for your kids' success in sports or do you pray more for these kids to become followers of Jesus who change the world for amazing reasons and things? I mean, these are things. Now, I got the best call. My son Joseph, the baseball player, he was a counselor this summer at Camp Canacook in Branson, Missouri. They bring athletes in, so he was a baseball coach. And I would only hear from him once a week. So last night he finished his time at Canacook and he called me. And I said, so Joe, how did it go this final week? He had, four, he had spent four weeks with the same cabin of guys. He said they were great guys. He loved it. It was awesome. I said, okay, how did, how did it go like spiritually? Did you feel like you broke through? Did, did God, Jesus, Jesus break through? And he said, Dad, it was crazy. Because I was at the last... Uh, campfire was the night where they presented the cross of Christ and give your life to Jesus. He said, you know, some of the kids in my cabin had not really crossed the line or understood who this Jesus was yet. He said, so I was standing over to the side 
And I was just praying for some of my kids by name. So I was standing over there, I just by myself just praying. And he said, I've never had this experience in my whole life. But as I was praying for this one kid, he stood up, he came over to me and talked to me and gave his life to Jesus right there. I'm like, Joe, that is awesome. That is better than any home run you ever hit. Than any hit you ever got. Than any walk off you ever pulled off. Than any pitch you ever threw. That is way more significant. That is kingdom of Jesus kind of stuff. Right? So I don't know. You know, maybe you've got the same problem I have. I don't know. But, you know, like, we're not going to suddenly get rid of sports in America. Right? I'm not going to get sports out of my life. But maybe I can gain some perspective. Maybe I can start to examine how I'm spending my time, my energy, my passions, my inner workings, what's going on. You know, uh, I have the Stantons next to me on the sideline now at college baseball. They get to hold me accountable. They see me going nuts. They see me walking around, tearing my hair out. You know, they, they go, Klein, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. So they're holding me accountable to my, to my sermon. All right? Let's put our American idols away and let's look here instead of here. Right? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are definitely sorry. It tells us in your word to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. It tells us in your word to put the kingdom first. I think, Jesus, probably the root of all, a lot of our sin and a lot of our struggle is our own idolatry, our own need to put other things first. So, Lord, this morning as we ponder our own idols, our own inner passions, emotions, I pray, Lord, that maybe we can make one change this week to get our eyes more on you and off of ourselves, off of these created things that we've made. Thank you that your Holy Spirit's in the room, Lord, translating for each person whatever they need to get this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.